0: I'm Carrie Miller, and each week we add a deep track, a book interview from the archives that parallels in some ways the themes of the new discussion. This week, as we bring you our Take It to the Lake summer book special, we're teeing it up with a book about sweating, because yes, summer. Science journalist Sarah Everts roamed the world, including a foray to a sweat dating session in Moscow, documenting how and why we sweat, it's excellent and entertaining science, and this interview from July of 2021 is just right for the warm and humid weather ahead. Here's Sarah Everts. Good morning. I'm Carrie Miller. Thanks for listening to NPR News. It takes an unusually determined science journalist to go unclothed and unintimidated, Into a world of hot rocks, Viking horned women, and jolly naked men. Anything for the story. And that story is how and why we sweat. As author Sarah Everts writes in her new book, sweating isn't just splashy and conspicuous, it's also so very human. As she joins us, I want to know what really makes you sweat. Is it stress? Is it humidity? Is it workouts? Is it Minnesota in the high summer? Is it embarrassing? Is it something you try to hide? What do you want to know about the science of what makes you sweat? Talk to me about it this morning. 651-227-6000. Yeah, I want the whole smelly story here. 800-242-2828. You can also tweet in at Carrie, K-E-R-R-I-M-P-R. Sarah Everts has a master's in chemistry, teaches journalism at Carleton University in Canada, and her new book is titled The Joy of Sweat, and she's with us from Ottawa, Canada. Sarah, welcome. It's good to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Let's return together to that sauna arena outside of Amsterdam (laughs) You're wearing a bathrobe over nothing. A couple hundred people are squeezing into this giant <laughs> sauna. Okay, pick up the story. Tell me what happened. So, we are all going in for uh, a competition
1: um, of what's called theater or sauna theater. And, um, you know, normally when you go into a sauna, you know, you think, you know, relaxation, um, you don't think flamboyant costumes, special effects, <laughs> Videotron screen, <laughs> towel dancing. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, gotta leave it to the Germans, um, to take, uh, the Finnish sauna to a whole nother level. Um, so this is something, yeah, that originated, um, in, uh, you know, the German speaking part of Europe. Uh, and effectively, uh, it's this new trend in, you know, spas um, on that side of the Atlantic. Um, do you want me to tell you uh, what happened when we went inside? Well, yeah,
0: I do. I, I just, first I have a question. You said a competition.
1: Is yes, it a world long...
0: competition. Okay, world competition. Is it, for everyone who hasn't read the book, is it more about how long can I endure these temperatures? Or is it, I showed up with these Viking horns in this great costume, and I'm going to be judged on that? I mean, what is the competition?
1: Right. So um, there are these people called Auf goose Masters, and Aufgoose means infusion. So if you've ever been to a sauna and poured water on the rocks, there's like this pulse of steam. Well, mm-hmm. an Auf goose Master, uh, you know, takes uh, a towel and whips it around in sort of a dancing fashion, think helicopter style, <laughs> whirling dervish, and whips that uh, hot, steamy air around. And uh, they also put essential oils. So it's like, like steaming with eucalyptus or you know clementine odors. Okay, so that's mm. what an Alf Goose Master is, and this is uh, something that happens in spas across Europe. But Alf Goose Theater is what's really uh, on display, and that's what competitors are doing. So for 15 minutes, um, a Alf Goose Master dresses up and provides a three-act play. Um, in an extremely hot <laughs> sauna, while whipping around hot air, and when I say that you know it's a play, they are in costume. The one that I write about in the book is a guy. The play is about a guy whose brother died on a mountain peak, and so um, we all enter the sauna. We sit down. The lights go down, and when they come up, there's a stage, and in the on the stage is a tent. The tent is rustling, and the elf goose master emerges. In in full snowsuit, it's like two hundred degrees Fahrenheit, and there you go. Um, wearing, uh, you know, a backpack, hiking boots, has an ice pick, and he starts to tell this story as he's, you know, putting ice on the rocks infused with. Um, with chamomile, And then, you know, a heavy, melod- heavy metal ballad, you know, winds up on the sound system <laughs> and he starts towel dancing, whipping around this like hot, steamy oh um, air. Yeah, so that's what's uh, being um, sort of evaluated by, you know, a handful of judges in the audience is, first of all, you know, how good is his play? How is good is this performance? And then the other parts are, how good is he at whipping that hot, steamy the air around right. the sauna because this gives you this amazing um kind of hot chill factor. You're in Minnesota, right? right. So you guys know about we, wind chill. This well, is the opposite. Makes you hotter.
0: Yeah. So Sarah, I have more questions about the sauna culture because I just I find this fascinating <laughs> yeah. and I can't stand them. But we have some calls, so I want to take a few calls here about the sure. science. To Espen in Lino Lakes. Espen, this is a super good question. Share it with us, will you?
2: Yeah. So I, um, I grew up rock climbing a lot and when I get nervous and think about the heights and stuff like that, my hands always get really sweaty. Um, and I'm wondering why would our hands sweat of all places on our body, especially when we're, you know, about to do something that you might, you know, be counterintuitive to.
0: Yeah. Really good question. Sarah, what's the story? Oh,
1: that's a really amazing question because it gets to sort of the evolutionary history of why we sweat. So um, the reason sweat is uh, a human superpower is that uh, we have evolved sweat glands over our entire body, which we use to cool down because the evaporation of water from our sweat whisks heat away. And, you know, it's one of the amazing things about being human and it works so well and it's why it's our human superpower because we are naked. So we have this huge surface area off of which we can, um, whisk away this heat through evaporation. Okay. If you think about a a dog, um, it's using its only naked area to do the same thing, its tongue. That's why it pants to cool down. So, um, the fact that humans have sweat glands over our entire bodies, um, is, you know, the thing that makes sweating human. But, um, all mammals actually have sweat glands, um, but they don't use them for cooling. They use them for grip on their paws. So, um, for most other mammals, when they panic, um, it, typically they they have to run away, perhaps climb a tree, and they need a little bit of grip. Um, and for that they uh, release a bit of sweat onto their paws to give them grip as they climb um, up a tree because you know if your hands are too, um, dry, it can be slippy, right? Just as too much sweat can be slippy. And so actually what's interesting is when humans evolved, uh, this as a cool down technique, um, effectively all of our sweat glands on our hands or paws moved to our whole body and we lost fur. But when, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you sweat, uh, when you're nervous and your hands get really, really sweaty, it's kind of a vestige of your evolutionary history from where your sweat glands originated. Um, um, generally though, these days when humans panic, um, we don't need, uh, to climb a tree to escape. <laughs> There's other solutions, but your hands get sweaty anyway.
0: Hey, here's a, here's something that I found really interesting since we're talking about the eccrine system and our, our sweat perspiration system in mammals. Humans have many more eccrine glands than other mammals, right? I mean, even though we've evolve to have them spread through our bodies, we still have a ton of them. Why? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, a couple of reasons. So if you just compare us to our closest evolutionary uh, cousin, the chimpanzees, we have like 10 times more. Um, mm. And it's because uh, it allows us to cool down super efficiently. Most other animals have um, just sweat glands on their, their hands, these equine glands um, or not their hands, their paws, sorry. Um, and, The reason that uh, I call it a superpower is because it's had this amazing, um, it allowed us to effectively do things that our predators and our prey couldn't do um, in our evolutionary history. So, you know, think back into the early days of Homo sapiens, you know, we are hunting prey that runs way faster than us, right? Mm -hmm. But because we have body-wide sweat glands, we can cool down on the run. So you can imagine we're chasing our, our prey, it sprints away um and inevitably it has to stop and cool down probably to pant or do something else so that it doesn't die of heat stroke which is by the way a really terrible way to die meanwhile you know because we have like millions of little glands on our body whose job it is to cool us down we can keep running and we don't ah. need to stop to cool down um i mean we want to but it's not a life or death situation if you're if you know you've been doing this and so we catch up to our prey forcing them to run again and again and again until they get so weakened by heat stroke, we can easily kill them or, you know, catch up with them. And so this has been like, yeah, our our
0: evolutionary superpower. Sorry, go ahead. Sarah Everts is, I just want to remind people when they tune in and they hear us talking about sweat and evolution and running after creatures, um, Sarah Everts is out with a new book called The Joy of Sweat really fascinating science on why we sweat, how we've evolved to sweat the way we do. And Sarah's world travels to really get deep into the world of the international world of sweating. I want to know from you, what really makes you sweat? Is it stress? Is it humidity? Boy, that is for me, it just triggers this humidity, just triggers this major sweat. Is it workouts? Is it Minnesota in the high summer? What kinds of questions do you have about the science of why we perspire the way we do? 651 800 242 Get in on Twitter, at Carrie and PR, to Daniel in Roseville. Hi, Daniel. Are you a sweater or are you just more of a glistener, would you say?
2: I am definitely more of a sweater. Um, thanks for taking my call.
3: I find <laughs> sure. that
2: on a, uh, on a hot summer Minnesota day, I just will walk down the street um, and start sweating. Um, the only time I'm not doing that is when it's the middle of winter and I'm freezing my nostrils off. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I had another question pop to mind after I listened to your last caller about the rock climbing. Um, I'm a music major, and I find that when I go out to perform, I get super nervous. And so it, and I just start profusely sweating out of all those glands. Is that um, just part of the fight or flight response or like, why are we chasing that away?
1: Yeah. Great question. So yeah, you're right. Um, uh there is uh two ways to actually start sweating right so one is your body starts overheating and you know it sends uh, an impulse to your sweat glands to all open up but you can also activate your sweat glands through hormonal ways like adrenaline right and so that's exactly what's going on um is that probably you're nervous and uh effectively in our evolutionary history typically when we're nervous um Um, we have to run. And you know, there's the the thing with the hands that I was talking about or the paws. But also, if you think about it in human evolution, again, when when you're panicking, you typically have to run away from a predator. And it probably means you're going to do a heck of a lot of exercise. So your body is possibly just uh, activating the cool down directive, uh, anticipating that you're going to be running and running for a long time.
0: Sarah you confess in the book that you too like Daniel are a big sweater. It, Indeed. And, and and women have more of these eccrine glands than men, right? We which which is, to me is somewhat counterintuitive. I think we think of men as sweating more and more easily than women. So what's the story with that? And what's your own story with this?
1: Um so it 's interesting because when uh, people or researchers uh, analyze the the sweating characteristics of you know men versus women, and you know they really stick to you know binary uh, genders um, they, they don't find a huge amount of difference between the way men and women sweat, despite, you know, that uh, kind of like culturally antiqui- antiquated uh, idea that, you know, women glisten and, and men perspire and horses sweat, I think. Um, but yeah, no, actually, you know, women may have a, a few more um, sweat glands per surface area and men might actually have a higher flux out. So how fast the sweat is uh, coming mm. out. But quite honestly. that that's in the like that's like not you know, a huge, huge amount of difference. Generally, the differences you see are, you know, based in genetics, right? Um, Do you come from a family that is uh, heavy sweaters? Or um, (laughs) otherwise, you know, did you grow up um, in a place where, you know, maybe was cooler? And so your body uh, in your early years learned that, oh, you probably don't need to sweat a lot. And then when you move to a hotter place, it, you know, freaked out. (laughs) Now it overcompensates.
0: Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So did you grow up in a family of sweaters? Or did you grow up what well, you probably grew up in Canada, which I think I of is a pretty cool place? Okay, how did that affect but- why you are a sweater?
1: So I did grow up in Canada, you know, which is cold. I grew up in Montreal, all super icy, like kind of like Minnesota, right? Um mm-hmm. and uh but I was just actually talking with my mother who told me that her dad uh, was a massive sweater. And you know, we my whole family, you know, I'm sorry to out you all, um all the Everetts are a little bit sweaty. Um but yeah, I think so I think there's probably a mix of, you know, nature and nurture in in the reason that I I sweat a lot. But also um, I do a lot of activities that uh, raise my body temperature, so I love going to the sauna. I do a lot of sports, and you know, uh, athletes and, and people who uh, are regular, you know, sweat ceremony, like they go to the banya or the sauna or or elsewhere regularly, say that um, they sweat more than they used to prior to you know their athletic career or prior to this hobby that they had. Ah. So it's your body kind of acclimatizing to the fact that anytime you get a little bit hot, typically you're going to be doing that activity for a long time. So let's get cracking on the cool down directive.
0: <laughs> um, I, I'm hearing from listeners on Twitter here that we should be saying sauna, which maybe you do, Sarah. Um, you know, we're, we're a land of founded by Scandinavians. <laughs> yeah. Or yes, or populated, <laughs> yes. I should say.
1: Yeah, if uh, the International Sauna Association uh, President uh, Risto Aloma is listening, uh, yes, sauna is how he says it. <laughs>
0: All um, right, let me grab a call from Justin in Duluth. Hi, Justin. Glad you called.
2: Hi, Carrie, and I have lots of thoughts on sauna versus sauna pronunciation. <laughs> oh, you do? Uh, <laughs> okay. I, All right. I actually run a, a sauna business right up here in Duluth. So we have
0: ah. a
2: community sauna right on the shores of Lake Superior. So people enjoy uh-huh. that experience. We teach them about it, and then they go jump in the lake and have so much fun. And we this build custom great. saunas for people. But I would say I would never reprimand people like Risto about how to pronounce it. You just gotta serve them the best thing, and then they'll. By the end of it, they'll be saying, "Wait, you pronounce it differently. I want to pronounce it the right way." So <laughs> Never <laughs> reprimand. Just introduce Not them really. to the good stuff. Well, so it's Justin, been such are joy you hearing this conversation about sweating because I'm having this conversation every day with people who are wanting I was to do say... more of it?
0: What do people want to know most about sweating and the sauna experience? What kinds of questions do you get, Justin?
2: Well, you know, I think it's founded in the both wellness community and in Mm. the fact that we're all a little stressed out right now. The last, Mm -hmm. you know, two years has been this surge of stress and anxiety. And for me, the sauna just has always been the tried and true place where I've relieved stress. And I've grown up with it. My family's Finnish, from Finland. And I think now we're seeing all this growth because the things that my grandma and grandpa used to say about the sauna being healthy for us are now being proven and documented. And, you know, the Mayo Clinic is publishing studies on that. And so now this health community is saying, wait a minute, this is really good for us. How do we do more of it? How do we get access to it? Rather than just having the little sauna in the gym that I don't know what to do in there. I think there's this wealth of cultural knowledge that people are starting to discover around this really millennium-long wellness practice.
0: Yeah. You know, Justin brings up something, Sarah, that I wanted to ask you about, which I I have to say it was a shock to read that saunas and steam baths weren't invented in Scandinavia. I I just assumed that's where it came from, that's who came up with the idea of this. So what's the real, what's the history of this?
1: Oh, you know, sweating ceremonies uh, are across the world. Um, there's something about the catharsis of a good sweat um, that we crave. And so, for example, um, the Native Americans have sweat lodges, and they've had those right. for millennia. Um, in the Middle East, there's the hammams. In um, uh, Russia, there's the Banya. In Korea, the Jimjilbangs. In Japan, the Sentos. And, yeah, no, this is something that um, dates back, uh, yeah, Far beyond, uh, far beyond the fins. Um, It is definitely. the Finns that, you know, kept that uh, sweat ceremony uh, alive in Europe during the Middle Ages when everybody was uh, afraid to take off their clothes um, because they thought, uh, you know, sh- revealing your skin to the world would, would give you the plague. Um, so they, they kept it alive during the Middle Ages in, in Europe. But, but this, um, this desire to be in a hot room with hot rocks and some steam, uh, that's far more ancient.
0: Call here from Ben in Minneapolis. Hi, Ben. Thanks so much for calling in and waiting. What are you curious about?
2: I'm curious about the science behind the talk where I've heard that you can relieve toxins from your body Mm -hmm. through your sweat glands. I'm Mm -hmm. interested in knowing if there's any kind of... uh, I noticed the guy talked earlier when he was talking about saunas that the health...
0: Right, the wellness. I've always heard about the
2: toxins getting released through the sweat glands. What kind of information does she have on that? Thank
0: you, Sarah. Detoxifying is it? Is it true, or is that just kind of a wellness trope? So,
1: yeah, I would say that that is uh, my favorite myth to debunk about sweating. Uh, Sweating um, is not a detoxifying. strategy. Now, going to the sauna does have health benefits, mostly to your heart. Um, And it does give you a catharsis. And that's because um, it activates the release of things like epinephrine and endorphins, happy hormones that you get also while exercising. But to say that going to the sauna or going for a sweat is a detox strategy is um, fundamentally uh, wrong when you know anything about um, human biology. So it's interesting because sweat is sourced um, from the liquidy parts of your blood. So, you know, our whole interior is wet. Um, and uh, when your body gets the cool down directive, effectively what your um, sweat glands do is they source that wet, salty liquid from the liquidy parts of your blood. And so, you know, anything that comes out in sweat, right, and all sorts of things do because there's tons of stuff circulating around in your blood. Um, but anything that comes out comes out is incidental. And so, you know, things like, uh, you know, glucose and hormones, things you need in your body come out, as well as, you know, any toxins that you happen to have swirling around. And if you truly detoxed by sweating, you would literally have to rid your body of all the liquid in your blood, right? That would leave you completely dehydrated <laughs> okay. and dead. Instead, we have the kidney. The kidney filters your blood of all the crap leaves in the good stuff, and uh, dispatches the toxins out in pee.
0: Okay, so we have debunked the myth that, you know, that, that the wellness community kind of propagates here that you are somehow detoxifying. It, it, it isn't that the sauna experience is good for you. It's just there's no science behind. You're getting rid of toxins and you'll be healthier after that. Yes, Sarah? Correct. Um, You are happier because uh, sweating profusely gets your
1: heart rate going and that has these knockdown biochemical effects that release happy hormones. So you have a feeling of euphoria. So maybe you could say it detoxifies emotions, but the actual nasty chemicals that you might want to get rid of those, um, if they came out in sweat, you would have to sweat until you had no more liquidy parts of your blood. You would be dead. Um, so yeah, that's not uh, one of the the benefits of going to the sauna. It is good for your heart. Um, so you know there are some health benefits, uh, but but yeah, detoxification, not one of
0: them. Okay, Dan's asking a question on Twitter that I've wondered about for a long time. He says, "Longtime runner, biker." wondering if a body used to exercise kicks into sweating more quickly. As soon as I start getting active, I sweat, but not that much just sitting around. I've thought that too. I've thought I exercise a lot. Why do I break out in a sweat almost the minute I start, you know, in an exercise class or something? Shouldn't I be managing that better?
1: Uh, solidarity. This is me too. Um, I'm okay. already reaching for my towel in any warm up. <laughs> right. um, when I right. run, I run with a like a little towel so I can dab myself. Um, so actually, what this is is it's your, a sign that your body is uh, acclimatizing to your activities. So effectively, because you are a, a sports person, um, it knows your body has learned that when you do a little bit of activity, usually it's going to mean a lot of activity. And so Hmm. it's anticipating your your body's needs and anticipating that your body's going to need to cool down and stat. So let's get cracking. Um, so, yeah, that happens. And in fact, that's a good thing. You know, many athletes going to Tokyo for the Olympics, for example, are, you know, training their bodies to sweat sooner and faster um, so that they can, you know, stay cool as they're trying to compete at their best in really, really hot temperatures. So, yeah, it's actually a good thing that you do that. It's a sign that your body is uh, learning about your behavior.
0: Excellent. Sarah Everts is with us. If you've just tuned in to the show, she teaches science journalism at Carleton University in Canada. And she has this great new book out called The Joy of Sweat, The Strange Science of Perspiration. I'm asking you this morning about what really makes you sweat. Is Is it an experience in the sauna? Is it humidity? Is it workouts? Is it stress? I mean, maybe it's just thinking of something that's a little uncomfortable and all of a sudden you're breaking out in a sweat. And what do you want to know about the science of sweat? 651 227 242-2828. Tweet in at Carrie NPR. We're going to get a look at the latest news. When we come back, I don't want to miss this with Sarah because her chapter on fake sweat is fascinating this woman who makes these fake sweat scents yeah we're going to talk about that afternoons as well sarah everts with us on the science of sweating and right back to the phones to george in saint paul george thanks so much for waiting i'm really glad you did what are you curious about
3: um thank you so much um and i guess you guys are about to address my question and i wanted to say i am definitely a summer sweater and an uh-huh. active NPR listener.
0: Thank you. So,
3: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, I wanted to know: Does the actual active of perspiration, the physical liquid, is that does that have a smell, or is it a byproduct of the biomechanical kind of processes, or is it the sweat kind of going through your skin and then dead skin cells and all of that? But if you were to literally just take an eyedropper, pull it off, and measure it with a centimeter would it actually smell?
0: Oh, but Sarah loves this question, Sarah.
1: Oh, I do. I'm so happy (laughs) you asked, um, because, uh, Body odor is, yeah, the subject of several chapters. Um, okay, so the first thing you know need to know is that um, sweat is mostly odorless um, when it emerges out of our skin. Like certainly, if you had a, you know, a hard night of hummus, uh, um, things that are circulating in your blood, right, um, are going to come out in your sweat, and so that's why you know sometimes hummus odor or alcohol odor uh, emerges out in sweat, but most of the, the stuff coming out in sweat is odorless. But the thing that, um, I love is, you know, up until this point, we've been talking about this eccrine sweat, this salty stuff that comes out to cool us down, but there is another. Um, and the other is the apocrine sweat glands that appear in your armpits at puberty and are responsible for morphing those zones into stink zones, uh, during the teenage years. And those glands, um, they produce a waxy kind of sweat. It's not salty or liquidy at all. It's kind of more similar to earwax, and it's in microscopic amounts. And uh, what's interesting is that the bacteria and microbes living in your armpits, because you know, you know, we have this human microbiome living on our skin and you know, in our digestive tract, everywhere. Um, the bacteria living in that wet, uh, tropical ecosystem of your armpit, they eat uh, that apocrine sweat and it's their metabolic byproducts, their, you know, I hate to say it, their microbial poop that is responsible (laughs) for your BO. Whoa, whoa.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. See, George, see the Pandora's box you opened there with that question? Uh, I want to, this would be a good moment just to mention the deodorant industry. And and, and I'm going to recommend the book for everybody who wants to understand how sexist and how fearmongering these these this deodorant uh industry was all driven by advertising executives who were trying to get people women initially to use deodorant just, just say just a little bit about that sarah cuz what a revelation
1: Yeah, so it's really interesting because the dawn of the deodorant and antiperspirant industry is around the turn of the 20th century. And, um, you know, deodorants work by, uh, they're just antiseptics. uh, And so they kill those odor causing bacteria. And antiperspirants plug your sweat pores. So they like cut off the buffet. And -hmm. people are inventing these products and nobody is buying them in the early, you know, 1900s. And it's because um, two things. One, uh, it's the Victorian era. and Nobody wants to be talking about bodily fluids. Uh, Drugstores don't want to be putting these things on their shelves. And also, um, most people, for most of human history, um, if they've worried about their body odor, uh, they've either washed with water or soap and water, and or they've put on perfume to mask or complement their BO. And so these new products, nobody wants to buy them. And it's this one, entrepreneur, actually, out of Ohio, um, who manages to uh, put the fear of stink in America, so much so that it's now a $75 billion industry, like just a 100 years later. And what she does, so she's a uh, high school student, and her dad's a surgeon um, in uh, Cincinnati, and his hands get really sweaty in the surgery room. And he invents this product that's an antiperspirant that um, to, to stop sweat in his hands. Um, She's like, hey, let's put this in our armpits. And she names it odor. Oh, no. And nobody's buying it for 10 years that much uh, until she hires um, a a company out of New York City, J. Walter Thompson, to, um, you know, come up with a better advertising strategy to to convince people to buy it. And, you know, they focus initially on women and they come up with these ads that are so offensive. They're so offensive, they're comical. Um, And effectively, you know, that they they have, you know, titles like, you know, beautiful but dumb. She has never learnt the first thing about you know i, know. And I it's so amazing it's <laughs> and effectively what they say um this copy says is that ladies um uh, you stink um and worse than that you stink and people are talking about you behind your back and in fact this is going to interfere <laughs> with you getting a man or a husband you know it's 1919 right so oh. so yeah it's it's um a really fascinating uh, history, and yeah, that's just the tip of the iceberg.
0: It is. It is. A call here from Liz in Mankato. Hi, Liz. Thanks for waiting. I'm glad you did. What do you want to know?
1: Well, I never thought I'd be so
0: fascinated by sweat. Um, <laughs> I but, know. My job is uh, done. <laughs> yes, uh, I
1: I work uh, with youth in a summer camp, and you know we have kids come out at, to camp for a week. And we see a lot of issues with dehydration because they're sweating so much during the week and then they forget to drink water because they're, you know, a lot more active than they normally would be. And i um, wondering if you can explain a little bit about how, you know, I know it helps cool us off, but at the same time, you lose a lot of fluid and, and how much you can actually
3: lose with sweat and have to rehydrate. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, how all of that works together, um, to keep your body healthy. Yeah.
1: So this gives me um, the opportunity to tell you about my favorite experiment. Um, There was a guy who was sweating profusely uh, and he wondered, how long does it take for, you know, the water that I drink to, you know, go into my stomach, uh, be absorbed by my intestines, you know, enter my blood and then come out of my sweat glands. And, you know, for most of us that get philosophical, you know, that that's it. Um, but he's a scientist. And so he, uh, the next time he, he went to the sauna, he put a chemical tracer in his drink. And it took him, uh, it took 15 minutes for the chemical tracer to come out of his sweat glands. Because he like went into the sauna with all these glass vials and was like collecting his sweat at <laughs> timed intervals. Okay, so, you know. Effectively, um, you know, the best message is to drink to thirst. So for our human history, we have, um, you know, we've evolved to... Uh, to be able to survive in all sorts of, of hot climates. And, you know, the the sports drink industry in particular, you know, uh, wants us to buy their products and uh, all the bottled water, you know, entrepreneurs too are, you know, want us to buy these products. And, you know, certainly it's good to, to drink, but you only really need to drink to thirst and you can get a lot of hydration from fruits and veggies. Um, and so, yeah, definitely, you know, I have a seven-year-old uh, when he's having Fun, um, you know, it's hard to get him to slow down uh, and think about his body. Um, but yeah, definitely, you know, as long as these kids are, you know, attuned to their body and drinking um, when they're thirsty, they are fine. Um, they should be fine.
0: So, so drink as much as you as you are thirsty for, and and you don't really need more than that. But but no. keep like paying attention to your level of thirst. I think I hear you saying. And that's yeah. good advice for Liz with those kids at camp.
1: Indeed it is. It's great.
0: Oh. So so Sarah, I want to ask you about um I, I just I found this fascinating. This woman who Sissel Tolas, how do how do you pronounce her name?
1: I think that's how you do it, but I bet um, you know, all the Scandinavians in your part of the world <laughs> will be <laughs>
0: Probably. (laughs) Sure they are. Okay. So she makes these fake sweat scents. And just in reading about this, it sounds like she uses techniques that come from the perfume industry. Why is she doing this and, and how does it work?
1: Yeah. So she is what's called a scent artist. Um, she was trained as a perfumier, uh, as a chemist. Um, but instead of using, you know, all these kind of essential oils and, and scents to make, you know, the next Chanel number no. five, um, she uses it to reproduce the body odor of, uh, patients with anxiety issues. So she is, um, yeah, she she partnered uh, with uh, some psychiatrists and uh, worked uh, at MIT um, to come up with kind of like a scratch and sniff uh, strategy for encapsulating um, these body odor prints, because, you know, we all have, so there's some top notes to human sweat, human stink. Um, Mm -hmm. But we all have like hundreds of of molecules that are odorous coming out of our armpits. And, and, you know, it distinguishes you from me such that, you know, a dog could track you or track me. But she, you know, makes a perfume that is a mimic of these men's BO. And then she puts it on herself. She's this like glorious, tall woman with a (laughs) Cleopatra, uh, like, blonde haircut, Um, and she, you know, will go to these events uh, wearing a cocktail dress and then, like, hugely stinky VO as kind of, like, performance (laughs) art.
0: Uh, I, I just, I read a novel that featured Pliny the Elder as a key role, so I thought it was really interesting that there are scents that can be basically recreated from that era. I mean, it, it, there's a, there's a fragrance worn that goes back there to Parthian royalty, who hailed from this region around modern day Iran, recreating, you know, these scents and the kind of sweaty sense is just, well, it's an incredible science to me. Did you know anything about this before you embarked on the, you know, the, the wide ranging research for the book?
1: Well, you know, it's funny. uh, uh, As a science journalist, I had covered, um, you know, people who go into ancient literature and recreate ancient recipes to see, like, what happens. You know, people who recreate ancient Roman uh, hair dye recipes or lipstick. Um, And uh, so – uh, that's kind of actually how I learned about Jean Carleau, who uh, works uh, at um, the Osmotech in, in Versailles, just outside Paris. And he Uh, you know, was a a perfumier for most of his life. He invented all sorts of, uh, like, very famous perfumes like Sublime and 1000 and, you know, the sporty fragrances for Lacoste. Um, And when he went into retirement, he, you know, was thinking about, like, the history of perfume and got really curious about, you know, what people who had his job, you know, 2000 years ago, um, what they did. Um, and so he started going back into ancient literature and recreating perfume and you can go and smell it. And I did. And it was so interesting to smell, you know, the perfumes that people would wear during, you know, the ancient Roman era or during, you know, the plague era um, and how it differs from from today. <laughs>
0: Uh, Luca says on Twitter, I lived in Milan, Italy, where wearing deodorant is not part of the culture. Traveling on a city bus with all the windows rolled up at the height of summer is a sensational experience. (laughs) To to the phones, to Tony in St. Cloud. Hi, Tony. What are you interested in? Hi.
3: um, My question is, I have a condition called hyperhidrosis, and I'm affected in my hands and my feet. Uh, it's mm-hmm. pretty extreme to where I have, you know, um, liquid sweat that will come out, uh, and that's also been passed on to my son, regrettably. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, I'm wondering the the condition itself. Uh, there's a certain percentage of us that um, ha- there's a treatment that's effective that's electro uh, electro electric low voltage electric stimulation of mm-hmm. the hands and feet and it's uh, at least from my studying it's about uh 80%. I'm one of the people that it uh it's effective for. And I'm wondering um what uh systems that that electric stimulation is affecting and and why it's only effective in in a certain percentage if you've experienced any of that or have any uh knowledge of that.
0: Sarah, what do you know about that?
1: Yeah, well, you know, um 15 million uh, Americans are estimated to have hyperhidrosis. And, you know, that is a, a large number. And I wish that there was more research looking for strategies uh, to combat it. But, yeah, I, do, I did look into um, some of the things that you can do. Uh, you know, obviously, some people use Botox. Um, some people microwave their sweat glands to, to try and uh, using these kind of uh, little uh, hand uh, objects. You, you do it in a, in a clinic. But yeah, um, this uh, mild electrocution of, of your hands and your feet is a really good way to deal with hyperhidrosis there. And um, I looked into you know why this might work, and it's very unclear. Like researchers don't know why it works. Um, there's a lot of speculation. So, um, for example. Um, the opening of sweat glands uh, are a response to nerve impulses right and nerve impulses involve um, you know uh, ion channels so you know movement of electricity um, through along your you know along your 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 nerves and so you know, Probably what's happening is that mild electrocution is somehow disrupting the message, um, this electric message to to open up the sweat glands. Um, but quite honestly, um, there hasn't been a huge amount of research that has conclusively shown why why that works and why it only works in eighty percent. And yeah, I you know I really hope that perhaps um, of the people reading my book, maybe more medical researchers might be inspired to, you know, dig into hyperhidrosis and, and figure out, um,
0: yeah, new, new ways of, of treating it. Geez, mild electrocution. Hmm. That's kind of surprising that that works. Nick says on Twitter, I might've missed you talk about this, but what can be said about the smell of sweat and attraction? I'm sure the effects of pheromones are overstated in people. But I've seen some interesting studies, he says. So attraction and then the smell of our individual sweat, Sarah.
1: Another favorite part (laughs) that I love to talk about, uh, (laughs) apropos of sweat. So... So we all have this body odor print, you know, one that you know makes me unique from you. And uh, actually, there's a lot of fascinating research that we communicate information to each other with our body odor, um, and not just related to, to romance. So, for example, um, parents can identify their newborns um, from you know their body odor print just hours after birth. Siblings can identify each other, you know, after two years of being apart. Um, And, you know, we can also identify anxiety uh, in others. So um, law enforcement uh, long observed that, you know, people going into interrogations show up with their own body odor print and leave all stinking of fear. Um, And so there's like something that we produce when we're afraid uh, that doesn't only make us sweat, but makes us stink in a specific way. Um, But what's really interesting, of course, is love. Right. And, you know, everybody, uh, you know, pop culture loves a good pheromone story. And here's the thing. There is a lot of uh, suggestive evidence that we use our noses in the search for love. Probably the most famous experiment is the T-shirt study by Klaus Wettekin, who effectively he, he gave uh, men these uh, T-shirts to wear, um, some straight men, and then he asked uh, heterosexual women uh, to sniff them. And the women found um, <laughs> the body odor of these men to be most attractive when their, the genetics of their immune system was such that if these two people mated, they would produce a progeny with really, really, really strong immune systems. And, you know, that makes sense because, yeah, Yeah. human history, Um, uh, our biggest foe is microbial. But um, in terms of, like, having plucked out a a, a human pheromone that causes, you know, me to, like, want to, um, right, you know, join you in the bedroom, um, that has not happened. And anybody trying to sell you that um, is, you know, a snake oil salesman.
0: (laughs) Okay, be aware of that. I think I can fit Erica's question in here. I really want to. Hey, Erica, I'm so glad you waited. What do you want to know from Sarah? Hi. Uh, Yeah, go right ahead. Okay, great. Okay. Yeah, I just, um, I was, I've noticed that sometimes I feel like I don't want to sweat and I feel like I can kind of control that mentally. I don't know if that's valid or not. And then on the flip side, when I'm working hard and the sweat is just pouring off of me, I really enjoy that feeling. Okay, so can you mentally control, Sarah, the the amount that you're sweating? Geez, I hope this, the answer is yes.
1: Whoa. Um, I would probably argue um, no, uh, but maybe you have a a, a unique uh, superpower. So, you know, I think a lot about this because, you know, if you think about a lot of the, the bodily functions that kind of mortify us, like farting or, you know, peeing or burping, you know, we can control those, like just for a few seconds, we can hold them back. But when your body gets the cool down directive, like it needs to sweat. there is nothing you can do to stop it and in fact we're always sweating all the time because our body's making micro adjustments to our our body temperature we only notice the floods when things get really hot
0: sarah this sounds like you had so much fun researching this book i mean i did (laughs) yeah, yeah it sounds i love your enthusiasm for the topic great to have you here today thanks so much Sarah Everts is a science journalist and author of the new book, The Joy of Sweat, The Strange Science of Perspiration.